The sympathetic division of the autonomic nervous system, ANS, is the fight-or-flight division. The sympathetic nervous system is called the fight-or-flight division of the ANS because it prepares the individual or a response to a threat, although it is also used during exercise and more subtly in day-to-day living, like dilating the pupils in a dark room. All of the preganglionic neurons of the sympathetic division are in the lateral horns of the gray matter of the spinal cord from thoracic segment T1 to lumbar segment L2. And so this division of the ANS is called the thoracolumbar division. Four targets of norepinephrine released by the sympathetic nervous system. 1. Postganglionic neurons cause the pupils of the eyes to increase in size and dilate. When the neurons release NE that binds to the adrenergic receptors of the dilated smooth muscle in the irises. 2. Postganglionic neurons cause heart rate to speed up. When the neurons release any that binds to the angenergic receptors on the cardiac muscles in the heart's pacemaker, the pacemaker cells depolarize more quickly. They reach threshold faster, which speeds up their signaling for contraction. 3. Postganglionic neurons cause airway passages, bronchi, and the lungs to dilate or widen. When the neurons release norepinephrine that binds to the adrenergic receptors of the smooth muscles in the bronchi walls. This allows more O2 to enter the lungs for transfer of mitochondria of the skeletal muscles and other cells to produce ATP or energy for fight or flight response. When norepinephrine or epinephrine binds to the angenergic receptors on the surface of smooth muscles, it triggers relaxation, which opens the bronchial passages. 4. Skin is supplied only by the sympathetic division of the ANS. Sympathetic postganglionic neurons target sweat glands to regulate sweating and blood vessels to regulate their diameter for thermal regulation. Epinephrine is the fight-or-flight hormone. To increase a fight-or-flight response or during physical exertion slash exercise, sympathetic preganglionic neurons signal the release of epinephrine, also called adrenaline into the bloodstream. Epinephrine then finds and binds to the same adrenergic receptors in the pacemaker of the heart to further increase the heart rate, to the airways to open slash dilate airway passages to get more oxygen to the lungs and expel more carbon dioxide, etc. The effects of epinephrine, the fight-or-flight response hormone, a stronger and longer response than if only epinephrine, the fight-or-flight neurotransmitter, was released. The visual system. The photoreceptor cells, rods, and cones. Rods are significantly more abundant, but there are few in the macula lutinia and none in the fovea centralis. They do not transmit color, they see in black and white. They are located more in the peripheral areas of the retina, in daylight vision, and they detect movement and object's motion and activating head turning to let the cone see the object. Rods are used for dim light or night vision. Cones are cone-shaped. The human eye has much fewer cones. They are the only photoreceptor cell in the fovea centralis. In the center of the macula lutinia, cones are also the majority of the photoreceptor cells in the macula. Cones are for detailed vision, i.e. visual acuity and for seeing color. The three classes of cones for color vision are 1. Red cones have light-sensitive discs that are sensitive to wavelengths of light that extend to red. 2. Green cones have light-sensitive discs that are sensitive to wavelengths around green. Blue cones have light-sensitive discs that are sensitive from indigo through blue wavelengths. 
Partial and overlapping activation of two or more of the different classes allows one to see many more colors, thousands of hues. The three cell relay of a visual information within the retina. Visual information is transmitted via the chemical signaling of the neurotransmitters from one, photoreceptor cells, the rods and the cones signal the two, bipolar cells and neurons, which signals the ganglionic cells neurons. When a ganglionic cell reaches threshold, it fires an action potential along its heavily myelinated axon, which leaves the eye through the optic disc and enters the optic nerve to project to a thalamus. The visual pathway and cognitive perception, seeing. The visual world that we see is described as visual fields. Visual information from objects seen in the right visual field of each eye, like the rose in the illustration, are initially perceived or seen in the visual cortex in the left occipital lobe. Objects seen in the left visual field of each eye, like the stem, are seen in the visual cortex in the right occipital lobe. The visual information is shared between the left and right occipital lobes through the corpus callosum, so that the entire rose and stem is perceived as one object. The visual stream are pathways for processing the visual information collected in visual cortex of the occipital lobe. The dorsal stream is the pathway from visual cortex to the peritoneal lobe association cortex for cognitive perception of where the individual is relative to objects in the three-dimensional world. The ventral system is the pathway for visual cortex to the base of the temporal occipital cortex for cognitive perception of what the individual sees. In the right hemisphere, this is what includes human faces, recognized in an area called the fusiform cortex. Hearing occurs at the organs of the cordy and the cochlea of the inner ear. Sound waves are transmitted through the structure of the outer ear and middle ear with a footplate of three ossicles, the stapes or the stirrup, vibrating against the oval window of the spiral-shaped cochlea. Hearing occurs when the hairs on the hair cells bend. Waves of the paralymph cause the basilar membrane to bob up and down. When waves are created in the paralymph fluid under the basilary membrane and it bobs up and down, which bending of the hairs, which opens ion, cation channels, in the hair so that positively charged ions, in this case potassium, can diffuse in and depolarize the hair cells. This starts with the transmission of sound to the brain. Hearing the pitch of sound is determined by the position of hair cells on the basilary membrane. This is an uncurled cochlea. The areas show the waves of the paralymph. Although not clearly shown, the organ of corti, with its hair cells, sits on the basilary membrane, shown underneath the cochlea as the striped strip. The narrow base of the basilary membrane is narrow and stiff, so it bobs with high-pitch waves at wave frequencies of up to 20,000 hertz in humans. When the hairs here bend, the sound reaching the brain is perceived as high pitch. The wide apex of the top basilar membrane is wide and floppy, so it bobs with low pitch waves down to 20 hertz. When the hairs here bend, the sound reaching the brain is perceived as low pitch. After signaling the auditory nerve reach the brainstem, the information is relayed from the thalamus to the auditory cortex of the temporal lobes for sound perception. The inner ear and equilibrium. Detecting the position and movement of the head is done by the hairs on the hair cells in the inner ear called the vestibular system. Unlike hearing, which can be done with one functional ear, 
The brain requires accurate information from the vestibular system in each ear in order to correctly interpret head position and movement. There are two components of the vestibular system. One, the otholith organs are for static equilibrium, perception of the angle of the head when it is straight or tilted. The hairs of the hair cells of the otholith organs are embedded in gel covered with calcium crystal called otholiths, the rocks in your head. The position of the otholiths shifts in response to the pull of gravity. This shifts the gel, which bends the hairs, allowing positively charged ions to enter and activate the hair cells. The otolith organs transmit information to the brain about set position of the head. It is called static equilibrium. Two, the semicircular canals for dynamic equilibrium. The three semicircle canals in each inner ear are responsible for dynamic equilibrium, informing the brain about the direction and speed of head movements. At the end of each canal is a bulge, and within are the hair cells covered by a gel, but this gel does not have otholiths over it. When the fluid inside the bed, when, when the fluid inside the canal moves in response to the head movement, the fluid pushes the gel, and the hairs of the hair cells canal bend, which activates the hair cell. The hair cell then transmits signals about the direction and speed of head movement to the nerve fibers of the vestibular nerve. There are two classes of hormone in the endocrine system. The endocrine system consists of glands and tissues, slash cells within glands that produce and release hormones to regulate various psychological activities to maintain homeostasis in a range of compatible with life. Hormones act as chemical keys that travel through the bloodstream until they dock with their receptors, locks, of the target cells. This arrangement, arrangement between a hormone and its receptors ensures that the correct target cells are activated by the hormone. Peptide hormones are not lipid-soluble and cannot cross the plasma membrane of any cell. Peptide hormones bind to the surface receptors embedded in plasma membranes of the target cells. After the hormone, the first messenger in the pathway binds to the receptors on the surface of the cells. It initiates a cascade of events that produces a second messenger inside the target cell. In an illustration like this, you know you need to only know the following three steps. Step 1. Show a peptide hormone, hormone A, the first messenger binding to the receptor of the surface of the target cell. Step two, show the conversion of ATP to the silic AMP, or CAMP, the second messenger inside the cytoplasm of the target cell, an enzyme adenylate cyclase activated after the docking of the hormone into the receptor. Step three, shows the CAMP activated an enzyme called kinase. The kinase triggers the response of the target cell. Step four, a process called phosphophorylation. 2. Steroid hormones are lipid-soluble and can cross the plasma membrane of the cells. They do not have receptors on the surface of target cells, but instead diffuse through the lipid bilayer of the cell's plasma membrane and bind to internal receptors. An example is cortisol. Know the spear passing through the plasma membrane is steroid hormone. Know that 1 through 5, also known as the mRNA messenger created during transcription, directs protein synthesis and the production of new protein by slipping it into the protein manufacturing plants, the ribosomes, and the cytoplasm during the process called translation. The systemic endocrine role of the hypothalamus and the posterior pituitary. The systemic hypothalamic hormones travel via the bloodstream through the body to reach and activate target cells in another tissue or organ in the body. 
The hypothalamus has two sets of neurons that produce systemic hormones that are released by their axon terminals that are in posterior lobe of the pituitary gland. Not truly an endocrine gland, but the housing for the terminal of the hypothalamus axon. The hormone passes through slits in the fenestrated capillaries. Note that neurons will manufacture and release one or the other, not both. One set of neurons called osmoreceptors releases ADH, antidiuretic hormone, when stimulated by an increase of viscosity, thickness, and blood plasma. The hormones released from the terminals in the posterior lobe of the pituitary gland diffuse through slits, fenestration in the blood, capillaries to reach their targets. Antidiuretic hormone, ADH, is released from osmoreceptors neurons when blood starts to thicken, an indication that the individual is dehydrated. The main target of ADH are the kidneys. When their cells are stimulated by hormone, they reabsorb water from urine. Release 2. Release of oxytocin from hypothalamic nerve terminals in the posterior lobe of the pituitary gland happens. A. During childbirth and breastfeeding. Oxytocin triggers muscle contractions. Breastfeeding also appears to establish bonding and trust between the mother and child. Scientific evidence now also suggests that oxytocin also establishes bonding and trust between adults, possibly by in inhibiting activity in the brain's threat receptors, the amygdala. Growth hormone is released from endocrine cells in the anterior lobe of the pituitary gland. A growth plate in a growing bone consists of cartilage cells that are arranged in columns. Growth hormone stimulates mitosis of these cells, which pushes the end of the bone away from the shaft. The release of thyroid hormone is regulated by the hypothalamic pituitary anterior lobe portal system. Thyroid hormone is critical for normal development of the neuro nervous system and it is establishing basal metabolic rate. When body temperature begins to drop below normal, there is an increase in thyroid hormone which increases metabolic activity and heat production in cells throughout the body. The sequence for release of thyroid hormone in this circumstance begins in the hypothalamus, which has neurons that produce regulatory hormones that control the release of hormones from the anterior lobe of the pituitary gland. 1. Specific neurons in the hypothalamus are signaled by cold responsive neurons in the skin. These neurons respond by releasing TRH, and TRH will diffuse into the fenestrated capillaries of the first capillary bed network of the portal system between the hypothalamus and the anterior lobe of the pituitary gland. 2. TRH, thyrotropin-releasing hormone, travels through a portal vein to the anterior lobe of the pituitary gland where there is a second bend of fenestrated capillaries for the TRH to pass out through. 3. TRH binds to its receptors on the surface of endocrine cells in the anterior lobe that releases TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone, to trigger the release of TSH into the bloodstream. 4. TSH enters the bloodstream at the same fenestrated capillaries as the anterior lobe of pituitary gland and travels to the thyroid gland. 5. TSH binds to its receptor to trigger the release of thyroid hormone, which is actually two hormones, T3 and T4, already stored in the gland. In this scenario of the hypothalamic neurons responding to cold temperature signals, the thyroid hormone enters the bloodstream and targets cells throughout the body to increase their metabolic activity, 
which increases heat production, which raises body temperature up to normal homeostasis. The thyroid gland stores up to three months' supply of thyroid hormone in its follicles. Presumably because iodine is required component, three iodines in T3 and four in T4, and our ancestors did not always have access to iodine-rich soils in their migrations. Commercial salt now is commonly iodized to ensure adequate supply of iodine for the glands. 5. TSH, thyroid-stimulating hormone, triggers the release of T3 and T4. When TSH binds to the receptors, two forms of thyroid hormone are released into the bloodstream. T3 with three iodine molecules attached and T4 with four iodine molecules attached. T3 and T4 pass through fenestrations in the capillary. While growing, T3 and T4 is critical for normal development of the nervous system. In adults, T3 and T4 maintain basal metabolic rate and body temperature. They also will raise metabolic rate and heat production when body temperature is dropping below homeostasis. Negative feedback loops prevent excess hormone release. Example to know, thyroid hormone. When there is sufficient TH in the bloodstream, TH will circulate back to both the hypothalamus and the anterior lobe of the pituitary gland to trigger negative feedback. 1. After T3 and T4 binds to the TRH-producing neurons in the hypothalamus, those neurons will be inhibited and will stop releasing TRH. After, so 2. After T3 and T4 bind to TSH-producing endocrine cells in the anterior lobe of the pituitary gland, those endocrine cells will be inhibited and will excess stop releasing TSH. This stops the TSH signaling the thyroid gland, which stops further release of T3 and T4 to prevent excess thyroid hormone and overstimulation of the target cells. Parathyroid and vitamin D are co-involved in maintaining calcium homeostasis. Calcium is a critical component to a number of psychological processes, including muscle contraction, cardiac, skeletal, and smooth, neurotransmitted release from nerve terminals, and blood clotting. Blood calcium homeostasis is monitored and maintained by the parathyroid, assisted by vitamin D, which is a steroid hormone. A drop in blood calcium concentration triggers the parathyroid gland to release PTH. 1. PTH signals osteoclasts to dissolve more bone, releasing calcium into the blood. 2. PTH also signals the kidneys to retrieve more calcium from urine. And three, PTH promotes kidney activation of vitamin D. When calcium concentration rises to homeostasis by negative feedback, this concentration level signals the parathyroid gland to stop releasing PTH. Cortisol is glucocorroid, known as the body's stress hormone. Cortisol is a glucocorroid, a steroid hormone for the adrenal cortex that stimulates an increase in blood glucose levels. As a stress hormone, cortisol does not cause the stress. It is released to increase blood glucose levels, so there is enough of this fuel, ideally along with enough to make sufficient ATP physically or actively dealing with the stress. As the stress response hormone, cortisol also acts as an anti-inflammatory hormone that reduces pain and inflammation, but it also suppresses the immune system. 1. It increases blood glucose. 2. Inhibits system and tissue inflammation. The pancreas has inlets, islets, with blood sugar regulating endocrine cells. 
Most of the pancreas produces digestive enzymes that go into the small intestine, but there are about 1 million endocrine cell insulates, which produce antagonist hormones having opposite effects that regulate blood glucose sugars concentrations, insulin, and glucagon. When blood glucose concentration rises above homeostasis, insulin is released to lower blood glucose back to homeostasis. A problem with insulin or its receptors leads to diabetic mellitus, primarily a situation of hyperglycemia or chronic high concentration of blood glucose. There are only three types of body organs whose cells have receptors for insulin, the liver, skeletal muscles, and fat or adipose cells. When blood glucose concentrations drop below homeostasis during fasting, glucagon is released. When glucagon binds the receptors on the cells of the liver, the liver releases glucose into the bloodstream to bring glucose back up, blood glucose back up, primarily to ensure that the brain has enough of fuel to function correctly. Response to rising blood glucose. When bound by insulin, the liver hepatocytes transport the glucose in and create long chains of linked glucose molecules called glycogen until it is needed back in the bloodstream when blood glucose concentration drops below homeostasis. When bound by insulin, skeletal muscle fiber slash cells use glucose for ATP production and store it in the glycogen for future use. When bound by insulin, fat cells, adipose, converts the glucose into fat for future use. Response to declining blood glucose. When bound by glucagon, hepatocytes in the liver activate scissor-like enzymes to cleave glycogen chains into individual glucose molecules that can pass into the blood to raise blood glucose levels back towards homeostasis. Blood, plasma, red blood cells, and platelets and clotting. The fluid component of blood is called plasma. It's compromised of 55% blood and is mostly water, 90%. Plasma contains electrolytes, nutrients, hormones, and plasma proteins, like the clotting proteins, including fibrogen and the most abundant plasma protein, albumum. Red blood cells, also called erythrocytes, account for most of the formed elements in blood. Their primary role is to transport oxygen from the lungs to the trillions of cells throughout the body. For their mitochondrial use, the O2 and glucose to produce ATP for cellular energy. Each red blood cell has no nucleus and is filled with hemoglobin, which carries oxygen to the tissues through the body. Hemoglobin requires the element iron, and about 60% of the body's iron is found in red blood cells. When red blood cells reach capillaries because they are slightly larger, the vessels they stack up, then bend and slowly wiggle through so that the O2 can dissolve, disassociate from the red blood cells, and diffuse into the tissues. Dietary iron must be adequate for red blood cell production, otherwise iron-poor anemia can develop. The oxygen delivered by the red blood cells combines inside the mitochondria with the glucose, transported into the body cells for the blood plasma. This combination produces 15 times more ATP for energy. Production and quality of erythrocytes is determined by the hormone EPO. The hormone EPO is a hormone released by the kidneys to stimulate the daily production of red blood cells, a process called hematopoiesis, a red bone marrow. Circulating EPO levels increase when one moves from sea level, where there is more oxygen at the atmosphere, to higher altitudes, where there is less oxygen in the atmosphere.
The lifespan of red blood cells is about 120 days, four months. Without a nucleus, a red blood cell circulates in blood about 120 days, at which time it loses its flexibility and can't wiggle out of the spleen and liver. Where it is destroyed, most of the components are red blood cells are recycled. Clotting at a damaged blood vessel starts with, with platelets. Platelets, also called thrombocytes, are small fragments of large cells in red bone marrow called megacarocytes. Megacaryocyte. Platelets circulate with blood plasma when the walls of the blood vessel is damaged. Platelets stick to the damaged lining and initiate the clotting process. The clot forms when strands of the clotting protein and blood plasma called fibrin form a network like a fishing net that captures red blood cells to cement the damaged wall, preventing the loss of blood from the vessels. Once the wall is repaired, anti-clotting proteins, heparin and plasmin, dissolve the clot away. The adult human heart is the two-sided muscular pump. 1. The right side, pulmonary trunk, the blood myocardium, sorry, the myocardium of the right ventricle pushes blood at 14 mmHg pressure through the pulmonary circulation to reoxygenate red blood cells in the lungs. 2. The left side, systemic pump. The myocardium of the left ventricle pushes reoxygenated blood at 120 mmHg pressure, called systolic pressure, through systemic circulation to carry the reoxygenated and nutrient-rich blood to the trillions of cells throughout the body. The chambers of the ventricles are about the same size, and the amounts of the blood entering each during rest is the same, so cardiac output from each ventricle is the same, about 70 milliliters. Between the arteries and the veins in both systems are 1,000 miles of single-cell-lined capillaries. Gases are exchanged with the air sacs of the lungs at the pulmonary capillaries. Gases, nutrients, and metabolic waste are exchanged at the systemic capillaries. Cardiac muscles occupy the myocardium of the heart and need calcium ions to contract. Each cardiac muscle cell has characterized similar to those skeletal muscle fibers, all of their psychromeres. The contractile units inside the cells give them a striated appearance. Their plasma membranes have voltage-gated channels and have T-tubules. Inward extension where action potentials are transmitted and they are loaded with calcium filled sarcoplasmic reticulums, and have thousands of energy ATP-producing mitochondria. Because cardiac muscles need extra calcium for each contraction of the heart, there are also voltage-gated calcium channels in the plasma, which open with each wave of membrane depolarization or action potential to let in 20% calcium from the extracellular fluid. The other 80% of the calcium is released from the intercellular sarcoplasmic reticulum, the calcium is required to trigger shortening of the sarcomeres, i.e. contraction of the heart muscles. Each cell must repolarize before the heart can contract again. There are also delayed rectifier potassium channels in the membrane of every muscle cell. There is a delay in the opening of these channels after the sodium ions have opened to sustain action potential. These channels rectify the depolarization by creating a passageway so that potassium can diffuse out to repolarize the membrane of the cells. This step is required for the heart to rest and returns to its electrical resting state before another wave of depolarization can start from the next heartbeat. Interclicated discs. Between adjacent muscle cells are critical for heart contracting as a unit or pump.
Cardiac muscle cells are branched, and all cardiac muscle cells, starting with those in the SA node, or pacemaker, are joined at their end of the intercalated disc, which has two components. One, they are glue-like proteins called desmoses, the cells that seal the cells together so that they don't separate when each is shortening. Two, there are channels between the muscle cells called gap junctions that allow sodium to pass from muscle cell to muscle cell to create a wave of depolarization that spreads through the heart so it can contract in a coordinated manner. The conduction system of the heart, all muscles, all the time. The conduction system of the heart coordinates a wave of contraction to the ventricle myocardium so that the blood can be pumped out of the ventricle's heart from the bottom up. The beats, or contractions, of the heart are regulated by the conduction system of the heart, which consists of highly specialized cardiac muscle cells, starting with the SA node, the pacemaker of the heart, and ending with the Purkinje fibers of the ventricle myocardium. The pacemaker cells are, are autorhythmic, meaning that they depolarize on their own, and they send, and then they send out the wave of depolarization, that sets the rate of the heart beating. A typical adult heart rate is about 75 beats per minute on its own. The SA node would set the rate at 100 beats per minute, but expect, except in the fight or flight exercise exertion. Acetylcholine released by the parasympathetic nervous system hyperpolarizes these pacemaker cells to the level that they will slow the resting heart rate. Pathways of conduction systems of the papillary muscles and ventricle myocardium. The conduction system starts with the SA node the pacemaker, which initiates the wave of depolarization that sets the contraction at the beating heart. Through the gap junction, the wave of the depolarization spreads the myocardium of the atria so that they contract first and squeeze blood into the ventricles before they contract. The conduction system itself continues as linked together, specialized muscle cells that go to the AV node. Two, the second component of the conduction system is the AV node. It rolls is delay the wave of depolarization to give time for the atria to contract before the wave spreads through the ventricles. 3. After the delay of wave of depolarization passes along the AV bundle to the ventricles. The wave of depolarization in the AV bundle branches two targets. 4A. First, the papillary muscles in the ventricles are activated to contract and hold the heart strings so that when the ventricle contracts, the blood is then pushed against the tricuspid and bicuspid valves. These valves don't prolapse, which would allow the blood to re-enter the atria. Five, second, the waves passes through the Purkinje fibers, the final component of the conduction system. From them, the wave passes through the muscle fibers of the ventricle so that they contract from the bottom up to push blood out through the aortic pulmonary valves. Heart rate is regulated by the autonomic nervous system. The parasympathetic division of the ANS is called the rest and digest division of ANS because it slows heart rate and assists in the digestive process. The preganglionic neurons of the parasympathetic division are in two locations within the CNS. One, the first group of parasympathetic preganglionic neurons is located in the brainstem. The second parasympathetic preganglionic neurons is located in the sacral portion of the spinal cord, S2 to S4. As a result of the atomic organization, the parasympathetic nervous system is also called the craniosacral cord division of the ANS. 
parasympathetic preganglionic neuron, postganglionic neuron. Cholinergic receptors on surface of the target cell, target cell of the parasympathetic neuron, nervous system. Acetylcholine releases from the activated postganglionic neuron of the parasympathetic nervous system binds to the cholinergic receptors to hyperpolarize the SA node cardiac muscle cells. This increases the amount of time it takes them to reach threshold and slows heart rate. Note again that resting heart rate set by the SA node pacemaker is about 100 beats per minute in an average adult. The acetylcholine subtly from parasympathetic system decreases this to 75 beats per minute. Norepinephrine, too, released from activated postganglionic neurons of the sympathetic nervous system bind to the adrenergic receptors at the SA node to more quickly depolarize the pacemaker cells. This decreases the amount of time it takes them to reach threshold and speeds heart rate. Any also is released onto the ventricle myocardium so that the ventricles contract more forcefully. For a longer and stronger response in case of fight or flight or exercise exertion, the adrenal hormone epinephrine is the same adrenergic receptor on the cells of the SA node and the ventricle muscles. Cardiac output is the amount of blood pumped out by a ventricle each minute. Know that the same amount of blood is ejected from each ventricle during ventricle systole. There are two factors that determine cardiac output. Heart rate times stroke volume. 1. Heart rate is beats per minute. It will increase in response to activation of adrenergic receptors in the SA node after binding by norepinephrine and or epinephrine. 2. Stroke volume is the amount of blood ejected by a ventricle. It will increase when more venous blood enters the chamber of the ventricles. CO equals HR times SV. An average size adult male with a resting heart rate of 75 beats per minute an arresting stroke volume of 70 ml beat has a resting cardiac output of 5.25 liters of blood pumped out of each ventricle per minute. Either an increase in heart rate or an increase in SV, or both, will increase CO. Venous blood entering the heart's ventricle during diastole or resting phase determines stroke volume. SV is determined by the amount of blood entering the heart from the veins, so-called venous blood as shown by the blue systemic and red pulmonary arrows passing from veins into the ventricle chambers. The volume that enters each ventricle during diastole or resting phase is equal to the SV in the same during systole contraction. During increased physical activity, more venous blood is pushed into the ventricles. This increased strokes volume. The increased volume of venous blood stretches out the ventricle myocardium as shown by the short black arrows. This can optimize the overlapping or thin and thick filaments of the sarcomeres to increase the amount of blood squeezed out of the ventricle during systole. The amount of blood squeezed out of the ventricles during systole at an optimal sarcomere length 100%, the myosin heads are maximally overlapping with the actin filaments. The contraction systole of the left ventricle normally creates a pressure of 120 mmHg pressure called systolic pressure, to push reoxygenated blood into the tens of thousands of miles of systemic capillaries. When an individual engages in running or athletics, more blood is pushed through the systemic venous system into the inferior vena cava, significantly creating or contributing to greater EVD than at rest. Blood vessels. There are three classes of blood vessels that transport blood. 
One, arteries. Carry blood away from the heart. Systemic arteries carry oxygenated blood. Two, capillaries. Spread through the body's tissues and cells for gas, nutrient, and waste exchange. Three, veins. Carry blood back to the heart. Systemic veins carry deoxygenated blood. The middle walls, the tunica media of arteries, have smooth muscles and elastic fibers. The blood carried away from the heart is the systemic arteries is directed to tissues in more or less volume through vasoconstriction or vasodilation. This is regulated by the nervous system by sympathetic input to the atrial smooth muscles. The middle of the three levels in the walls of arteries, the tunic media consists of the interconnected smooth muscle cells. The SUS muscle cells in the atrial wall have adrenergic receptors on the surface of the sympathetic postganglionic axon terminate on their smooth muscles where they release norepinephrine to maintain a certain amount of tension on the walls called tone. This helps maintain blood pressure. For a longer and stronger vasoconstriction during fight or flight or exercise or exertion, the sympathetic nervous system signals the release of epinephrine from the adrenal gland. It, is bind, it binds to the adrenergic receptor in the artery smooth muscle. 2. The largest artery is the aorta. During systole, the walls of the aorta and arteries expand outward due to the 120 mmHg pressure. When the heart rests, called diastole, the elastic fibers in the walls of the aorta and arteries recoil, and this creates a second pressure called diastolic pressure, normally about 80. Together, the systolic from the contracting myocardium of the left ventricle and the diastolic from the recoil of the stretched elastic fibers in the wall of the aorta and arteries pushes blood into the capillaries. Filtration in systemic capillaries begins with hydrostatic pressure. To push the nutrients to the capillary walls, all the blood in atrials spread into capillaries. The diminishing systolic diastolic pressure fuses into single hydrostatic pressure in the capillaries. This pressure is important in filtering nutrients from the bloodstream into the surrounding tissues. Capillary hydrostatic pressure is the blood pressure in the capillaries after the diminishing systolic pressure from the left ventricle systole. The diastolic is from the recoil of the walls of the arteries have fused. The hydrostatic pressure pushes plasma against capillary walls, which filters the plasma and nutrients out of the capillaries and into the surrounding tissues. The counteract to counteract the loss of too much plasma, the blood capillary proteins albumin sets most of the blood's colloid osmotic pressure inside the capillaries. Albumin accounts for 60% of the plasma protein circulating in the bloodstream. It is produced in the liver and the primary contributor to the osmotic force that draws water into the capillaries. Albumin pulls water, H2O, back into the blood vessel's capillaries. This is the osmotic pressure. This prevents HTO from steadily leaking out of the circulatory system. The osmotic force called colloid osmotic pressure works opposite of hydrostatic pressure in the capillary creating blood pressure. Unlike hydrostatic pressure, which continues to drop, the osmotic pressure is constant at 25 mmHg. Net filtration pressure determines the direction that substances move across the wall. There are two opposing pressures. Hydrostatic pressure that pushes plasma and nutrients out of the blood and colloid osmotic pressure. 
a constant force that creates mostly by circulating albumin that pulls plasma back into the vessels. At the arterial end of the capillary, HP is greater than COP, and so glucose, amino acids, and other nutrients are pushed to the wall to filter out of the capillaries. Water plasma also filters out, but this somehow has, must be returned to the circulatory system. 2. At the venous ends of the capillaries, HP is less than COP, and so cellular byproduct slash waste filters out of the tissues and into the capillaries. Most of the water lost in the atrial start of the capillary also returned to the capillary by this inward pressure. Remember that gases are not filtered, they are exchanged between the traveling down their concentration gradients. Veins transport blood back to the heart, but there is virtually no blood pressure in veins. Although systemic veins have three layers, the tunica media is very thin, and blood is now relatively far from the systolic and diastolic pressure, so that blood pressure in veins is less than 10 mmHg and down to about zero in the vena cava. There are three major mechanisms to return systemic venous blood to the heart. Many veins have valves to prevent backflow of the venous blood as it makes its way to the chamber in the right atrium of the heart. Many veins run through skeletal muscles, and when the muscles contract, this is referred to as skeletal muscle pump of the venous system. The veins that travel within skeletal muscles are squeezed and the blood is propelled during the heart, or towards the heart. This is a major contributor to the increase in end diastolic volume, which occurs during exercise to increase cardiac output. These muscle pumps are particularly important in lower limbs because the venous blood is further away from the heart and gravity pulls the blood downward. With each breath, the diaphragm contracts and squeezes the inferior vena cava, helping to pump venous blood back into the right atrium. This is a specific skeletal muscle pump, referred to as diaphragmic or respiratory pump of the venous return.